Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. When the body of a young girl is found murdered on the side of a rural country road. She was just placed out there like a bag of trash. The residents of Boonville, Missouri, keep their doors locked and their daughters close. A lot of kids were scared, thinking maybe this could happen to me, it happened to her. But when the girl's mother is nowhere to be found. She was the key to this entire investigation. She had the answers. Detectives wonder, could this murder be a family affair. People are motivated by many things to kill their children. But when death comes knocking twice, investigators realize things aren't always as they seem. I got two deceased people that have been murdered. We're still looking for answers and we don't have any. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Located just south of the tranquil waters of the Missouri River lies the quiet little town of Boonville. Smack dab in the middle of the show-me state, Boonville is the kind of place that people never seem to want to leave. Boonville is just a small town USA. If you live there, you've, you've probably lived there because your family lived there. A lot of people who live in Boonville don't move away. It's a very tight-knit community. Primarily a rural farming area, the residents of this Missouri hamlet know the meaning of a hard day's work. There's a lot of manufacturing in the area, uh, a lot of uh, blue-collar type jobs. There's just good, hard-working people. And 43-year-old mom of two, Janice Owen, is no different. She works as a nurse's aide at the local nursing home, and she takes her job very seriously. She was very caring of the patients that she had, and she took it pretty hard when one of them would pass away. But it was just her way of caring. 
Janice's mother, Frances Frederick, often worries that the single mom has too much on her already full plate. She was by herself and single, trying to raise two children, and she wasn't making big dollars, but she did pretty good considering. And she does it all for her kids. Her 10-year-old son and 8-year-old daughter, Alicia. Janice was a good mother. She thought the world all of her children. She loved those kids, and she really took good care of them. And little Alicia is the apple of her mother's eye. Just an all-around easygoing kid without a care in the world. Alicia liked to dress up and play with her dolls, and she uh, just liked to have a good time and play with other kids. She was happy little girl. And Alicia is on her mama's coattails like white on rice. Delighted to play grown-up when given the chance. Alicia tried to help her mom. She did good at doing little jobs for her. And... The family is a tight-knit threesome. But soon, the threads will unravel when a devastating crime rocks this Midwestern town. Just over the river from Boonville is the sprawling countryside of Howard County. And Sheriff Charlie Polson, well, he's the law in these parts. Uh, it's a very small family-oriented community, right at 10,000 people for the whole county. Good place to live. Most people travel back and forth to in the Boonville area to work. And in his line of work, the daily grind is a much tougher gig than the normal 9 to 5. You know, I became sheriff, and all of a sudden, I had a high blood pressure, you know. So it's just the stress of this job that'll eat you up if you don't find us release. Luckily, Polson has a release that suits him to a T. I've played golf for about the last 15 years. It's just a relaxing feeling to get out on a golf course. It's just uh, you and the club and the ball. And uh, whether I play good or bad, it's always it's better than working. And since he started working as sheriff in 1998, he hasn't had to worry too much about big city crimes in his quiet hometown. Since my tenure as sheriff, there wasn't any homicides out in Howard County for over 30 years. So on the morning of February 12, 2002, when a shocking call comes in from a concerned citizen, it has Sheriff Polson on full alert. They said that they thought there was a girl's body laying out here alongside the road. Asked me, are you sure? And he said, yeah, we thought it was a mannequin, but pretty sure it's a little girl's body. When I'm headed out to the scene, hundreds of things go through your minds. Who is this? Do I know her? Who are her parents? When Sheriff Polson reaches the location, he learns exactly what he's dealing with. There was a, a young, dark-complected female in a flowery dress, just 10 or 15 feet off the side of the road here. Just had a dress on, no undergarments, no shoes, no coat. She was a young female, somewhere possibly between the age of 8 and 12 years old. Any murder is a tough blow for the young sheriff. But the death of a little girl is hard not to take personally. This is somebody's daughter, and when you got kids of your own, you know, it just magnifies the situation a hundred times over. With Howard County's first homicide in over 30 years, Sheriff Polson has to keep his emotions in check and get to work processing the scene. But this killer left behind very few clues. 
You could tell there was remnants of a black trash bag underneath the victim. She possibly was placed in a trash bag and, and brought here and dumped here. But that was about all the evidence we really had. It's not much, but it's a start. Luckily, investigators have a little more to go on when they examine the victim more closely. There were some purplish marks around her neck. It looked like a possible suffocation or strangulation. It looked like she had been sexually assaulted. They find it odd, however, that the freezing February temperatures have had little effect on the body. The temperature was very cold that morning. There was kind of a steam coming off of her. We thought that she probably hadn't been deceased very long. Chances are the killer dumped his victim just before the morning commute. For her just to be discarded, you know, 20 feet off the side of a gravel road uh, out in plain view was very odd. And she was just placed out there like a bag of trash. The shameless audacity of this killer lights a fire under investigators. And first up on Polson's to-do list, find out who this girl is. With no children reported missing in the area, he starts by checking with the five Howard County Elementary schools. We gave all the schools in the area a description of the individual to determine if they had a young female of that age missing not in school that day. All Howard County students are quickly accounted for. So Sheriff Polson decides to broaden the search. And he makes a call to the neighboring town of Boonville. Lieutenant Bob Welliver has been working the leads for the Boonville Police Department for the past 26 years. Always with a smile on his face, he's happy to help whenever he can. In a small town such as ours, we're, we do everything from the smallest crime to the largest crime. And in a town where everybody knows everybody, chances are pretty good that somebody will recognize this mystery girl. So Lieutenant Welliver heads to Boonville's David Barton Elementary School, and officials quickly confirm that the girl is one of their students, third grader Alicia Owen. For Beverly Crawford, Alicia's teacher, it's a heartbreak she will never forget. It was my first year of teaching. She reminded me of a little China doll. She would wear her pretty little ruffled dresses and she would wear bows in her hair. She brought smiles to everyone who, who knew her. And Lieutenant Welliver is hoping that those folks who knew her may also know what happened to her. Maybe her mother, Janice Owen, can shed some light. We really just wanted to contact the mom and uh, let her know that her daughter was deceased and see if she had any information. But when a knock at the door yields no answer, he takes a peek inside. All is quiet at the Owen house, almost too quiet. The minute I couldn't get somebody to answer the door, I, I kind of thought the worst. We really didn't know if we had another victim of a crime in the house or what we were going to find. He's going to have to wait for a search warrant to find out. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Welliver heads to Janice's workplace, hoping to find her and some answers. We found out that she had not been to work since the day before in the early afternoon. So at that point, we had no idea where Janice Owens was. The entire situation leaves Lieutenant Welliver with a nagging feeling. To me, it was very strange that we had had no report of this little girl not being at school, not missing before she was found. So it was, it was a very strange set of circumstances. Surely, 
a mother would worry if her eight-year-old daughter is missing from the breakfast table. But no one has heard a peep from Janice Owen. And things get more peculiar when detectives learn that Janice had made arrangements for her son to stay at the babysitters the night of Alicia's murder. Investigators are starting to suspect something far more sinister may be at play here. We couldn't find mom, so alarm bells are going off. Her little girl is dead. We need to find out what she knows, where she's at, where she's been, who she's talked to. On a typical day in Boonville, Missouri, things are pretty quiet. Kids go to school, parents go to work, and families sit down at the dinner table to talk about their day. But when word gets out that eight-year-old Alicia Owen has been found dead, the normal suppertime pleasantries are replaced with whispers of murder. It was a very traumatic event for this small community, and people were going to talk and gossip very quick about what happened. But gossip is the last thing Sheriff Polson wants Alicia's grandmother, Frances Frederick, to hear. Having to go there and tell her that her granddaughter is deceased out here alongside the road was a very tough thing to do. Well, I just went haywire, because it just floored me to know that she'd been murdered. I just couldn't understand the whole thing. It doesn't take long before Alicia's older half-sister, Tammy Beeler, gets wind of the rumors. While the two share a father, Tammy is more like an aunt to the little girl. We knew they had found a body and had thought it was a youngster, but didn't know who it was. And um, when my husband got home from work, he said to my kids, you know, you know, some family is very, very sad. Little did we know it was going to be us. It's heartbreaking news. But what's even harder is knowing that Alicia's mother, Janice Owen, has simply vanished into thin air. We didn't know what to believe. I couldn't imagine where she would be, you know, and what happened. And she's not the only one with questions. For investigators, Janice has a lot of explaining to do. I'm thinking Janice Owens is either a victim of a crime or she could be a suspect of a crime. Her daughter is deceased, she's not around, and of course she's gonna cross our mind as a suspect. The idea that a mother could murder her own child is a tough pill to swallow. Either way, it isn't looking too good for Janice. Detectives are hoping a search of the Owen house might give them some direction. We entered the residence. We did see a small child's coat and a backpack uh, like somebody had left it when they got home from school in the front room. Neighbors tell investigators that the school bus typically drops Alicia off at home around 3.30 p.m. She had come home from school, and that would lead us to believe that she was taken from the house either by force or, or some other means. But who other than Janice had access to the Owen home? Police soon learn that one person had quite a bit of access. Janice's fiance, a truck driver named Gary Swinton. He had been at Alicia and Janice's house over the weekend. He had left Sunday, late afternoon before Alicia's body was found. With Gary having been in the Owen home just one day before Alicia's murder, it's a little too close for comfort. He was here in close proximity to the crime. 
we're highly suspicious of what his motivation is to be here in our town. Perhaps Gary is a way out, a way for Janice to escape her complicated life of raising two young children on her own. Her leaving with a truck driver was certainly in my head. It could be the parent thinking that if the child's not there, that that would be a less of an obstacle to a relationship. It could be a man that doesn't want the child to be part of the family. People are motivated by many things to kill their children. It's an unspeakable thought for Janice's family. I never thought that it was Janice. We knew that that's something that she wouldn't have been capable of, of doing. But there's no way of knowing for sure until investigators find Janice and get some answers. Our strongest lead is Gary. We have to talk to him as soon as possible so we can just find out anything he may know. They track down Gary's employer and learn that his next scheduled drop-off is just outside of Dallas, Texas. With Sheriff Polson in tow, Lieutenant Welliver heads south in search of some answers. Everything's going through your head a mile a minute on a plane flying down to Dallas. Our main thought was, well, meet this truck driver, and hopefully Janice is going to be with him, and she's got some explaining to do. Investigators settle in, watch, and wait. We kind of set up surveillance and waited for him to pull up and uh, get out of the truck and uh, unload his stuff there. We're thinking that hopefully we'll see Janice get out of the truck with him. But she's nowhere in sight. My initial uh, instinct is, why isn't she there? I was just totally shocked that she wasn't with him. When police approach him, Gary swears he hasn't seen Janice since he left Boonville Sunday evening. And according to him, he's been on the road ever since. I was hoping he could shed some light on it. He had no idea who she could be with or any idea about her whereabouts. When detectives sit down for a face-to-face with Gary, they tell him about Alicia's death. And his reaction raises a few eyebrows. He wasn't upset. He wasn't angry. He wasn't anything. It was just just like telling him you picked up groceries today. He was a very weird individual. He gave us all kind of an eerie feeling that just something wasn't right about him. But investigators need more than just a gut feeling. And they're hoping a search of Gary's truck will give them what they're really looking for, evidence. We are looking for any signs of a struggle, any kind of uh, physical evidence. So we want to see if there's hair, fibers, blood, any kind of DNA in there. Unfortunately, the search yields no new clues. But Gary is far from off the hook. The truck driver still needs to account for his whereabouts during the time of the murder. Gary told us that he left Boonville Sunday afternoon in his truck. He made his route through Kansas, Oklahoma, and ultimately ended up in Dallas, Texas, where we interviewed him. Luckily, truck drivers have very meticulous logs of all their travels. But it doesn't take long before investigators find a big problem. One entry, his visit to Boonville, is missing. Gary was trying to cover up from his company that he was going to drive 277 miles between where he was at to Boonville to visit Janice, so he wanted to hide that from his company. If Swinton lied to his employer about an unscheduled visit to his girlfriend, then who's to say he isn't lying to police as well? It's suspicious that his records aren't correct, so we're not going to take his word for it. We're not going to be able to trust his logbook. 
Instead, Welliver checks hard copy receipts, toll booths, way stations, gas fill-ups, to form a solid timeline on Gary's whereabouts. What we're trying to determine in the timeline is if there was time for him to come back to Boonville and commit this crime. Good thing for Gary. His story lines up. We could absolutely 100% verify that it's really almost not possible for him to be in our area when the crime's committed. It's a wild goose chase that leaves Sheriff Polson with a sour taste in his mouth. It was a big disappointment because basically this was our main lead. The flight back to Missouri, we were all kind of somber to the fact that our investigation was going to have to go somewhere else because he wasn't dead. And it seems the investigation is starting to point in a grim direction when a couple weeks in, there's still no sign of Janice Owen. As time goes on and we can't find Janice, you almost resign yourself to the fact that something bad has happened to her. She absolutely dropped off the face there. She hadn't had any contact with anybody. None of her bank accounts had been accessed, anything. With their leads drying up, it's back to the drawing board. There's a lot of unanswered questions that just can't be answered. But police are about to get an answer to the biggest mystery of all. Where is Janice Owen? And what they learn will turn this entire case upside down. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. 
They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Two weeks after the death of third grader Alicia Owen, things at David Barton Elementary School have pretty much returned to normal. But the empty desk in Beverly Crawford's classroom is a sad reminder to her students that Alicia is no longer with them. Her death was very tragic that year. Some of my kids wrote letters, even though, you know, she would never be able to read them. But they understood that it was a permanent thing, that they wouldn't see her anymore. And with one of their own gone for good, the kids of Boonville have become frightened of their own shadows. I think a lot of kids were scared after that and, you know, thinking maybe this could happen to me, it happened to her. So we were just worried about somebody out there, you know, stalking kids and, you know, maybe it happening again to someone else in our school. It's a chilling thought. And the idea that Alicia's death might have been random is starting to look more and more likely. It's news her family is relieved to hear. They tried to tell me that Janice killed Alicia, and I knew better because she just couldn't have killed her own children. She loved those kids, and she'd do anything for them. And investigators are starting to agree. Through our investigation and talking with family and friends, uh, we determined that this wasn't in Janice's nature to just disappear, to not be accountable for her kids. She loved her kids very much. She was always there for him. Police must now face what they believe to be the unfortunate truth. I was pretty convinced that Janice Owen was a victim of a crime at that point. We're checking bank records, her cell phone records, computer records. We absolutely found nothing. And I was certainly concerned about her well-being. But their biggest concern remains the same. Where is she? Police conduct a neighborhood canvas and soon they receive an interesting tidbit from Janice's next-door neighbor. She gave us information that they had both been using the Internet to meet men and some dating sites and things like that. It sounds like truck driver Gary Swinton wasn't the only man in Janice's life. Detectives' pool of potential suspects is suddenly overflowing. We find out Janice is online talking to several people that opens up a whole new avenue for us because we know that there are suspicious people online, people that are pedophiles, people that are rapists. With questionable characters littered all throughout cyberspace, investigators worry that Janice may have gotten mixed up with a dangerous crowd. They'll need to find out exactly who she was talking to. There was one home computer that we seized. We had the forensic experts look at that about what sites she had been on, so we subpoenaed that information, and that compiles a list of IP addresses that we can track to people. One by one, detectives tracked down the men Janice had both chatted with and met in person. Unfortunately, the lead dries up fast. Based on their personal work records, telephone records, cell phone records, we could verify that they couldn't have been in town during that time. Just to be sure, police take DNA samples from all the Internet Romeos for safekeeping. 
But when background checks yield no red flags, investigators chalk the lead up as a loss. Police go door to door, hoping someone saw something suspicious around the Owen home. During the initial neighborhood canvas, we received many leads. One that stood out most to us were a young couple on the porch that we had not identified that we thought we might want to talk to. The couple was spotted the afternoon of Alicia's kidnapping and Janice's disappearance. Perhaps they were just two friends dropping by to simply say hello. Or perhaps they were planning something more sinister. And something else neighbors noticed was an unusual vehicle near the Owen home that day. There was also several reports of an older model green pickup truck uh, near the residence. There was a pickup scene in Janice's driveway that day. It was a early 80s, older style green Chevy pickup. Detectives get to work pulling registration records for old trucks. And with two promising leads coming from the neighborhood canvas, they decide to cast a wider net. So they make a call to the most hard-hitting newsman in town, KRCG reporter Mark Slavitt. Slavitt's been covering central Missouri for the last 28 years, and he's seen his fair share of sad stories. You always feel bad when you're covering a murder, especially for the victim's family, but when there's a little girl involved, it's, it's even worse. So when police ask him to broadcast information about the mysterious young couple and the green pickup truck, he's happy to help. Investigators are confident they'll find Janice Owen. The question is whether they'll find her alive. The media broadcast pays off, and it doesn't take long before the phone is ringing off the hook at the Boonville PD. This is Bob Wilver. And one call sounds particularly promising. We had a tip from a garbage truck driver. He gave us information about an older green truck that he had seen where Alicia's Owen's body was found, which matched the description of the truck we had had previously reported at the Owen residence. With the truck spotted at Alicia's home and her final resting place, it's the most promising lead they've got. Detectives dig deep, looking for records of any old trucks in the central Missouri area. We also check with the highway patrol on VIN numbers for, for all the trucks that might match this description, and we actively went out and tried to locate these vehicles. Anybody that we talked to, we asked them for a DNA sample. But frustration sets in when the lead appears to be just another wasted effort. We're driving around trying to find all these trucks, and nobody ever piqued my interest at all. Most of them had an alibi of some kind, or they, you know, truck didn't run, they sold it. Tips continue to pour into the station, but none of them bring police any closer to what they are really after, Janice Owen. As the investigation sputters, the community is anxious for the truth, and the pressure is starting to get to detectives. It's my job to try to find out what happened. And so you work a lot of hours, you don't sleep very much. I would wake up in the middle of the night and write myself a note what I needed to do. I can drive this whole county and I looked in every crook and cranny and creek and all up and down through that whole area where this little girl was found just to try to find something that I might have missed. But Sheriff Polson won't need to look much longer. Six weeks after Alicia's death, he gets a call from some local men who made a startling discovery. 
They were on uh, County Road 317 working in that area. They believe they saw what was a body floating in a pool of water. With a second murder in Howard County, Sheriff Polson has a gut instinct that they finally found who they've been looking for. When I arrived at the scene, we knew that, uh, you know, it was definitely Janice. You know, I got two deceased people that have been murdered in my county. We're still looking for answers, and we don't have any. Get more Nightmare Next Door online at investigation.discovery.com. Six weeks after the murder of little Alicia Owen, the people of Boonville, Missouri, are just starting to cope with their loss. But when news gets out that the body of Alicia's mother, Janice Owen, has been found in a shallow creek bed, the double murder shakes residents to their core. It's not something this community has been set up to deal with. You know, it's not big city area where, you know, you see this on the news all the time. So I think it was difficult for a lot of people to see two people gone within weeks. And it's difficult for Sheriff Polson to see as well. Two people killed on his watch. On the scene, he's witness to an unsettling sight. It was a kind of a cold, frosty morning. The ice was uh, glazed over on the little pool of water. You could see a deceased body out in the, in the water. The freezing temperatures have kept the body well-preserved, and there is no doubt that the latest victim is Janice Owen. While a thorough search turns up no physical evidence, a step back and a look around gets police thinking. Janice's body was out in the open, clearly visible to any passerby. So why did it take six weeks to find her? We had covered this area numerous, numerous times, and somebody would have seen her in this shallow of a water. She was probably put on the east side of this tube, and we had had some pretty good rain that came through a few days before that and probably forced her out, you know, on this side eventually. It's quite a clever way to hide a body. And very telling. The location says a lot about the killer. Where Janice's body was located, this is a very rural area down along the Missouri River. Nobody lives in this area. It kind of gave us a general idea that it had to be probably somebody with local ties and probably somebody from this area. Police now have a good idea of where to look for their killer. And the discovery of Janice's body is a small piece of closure for her family. To know that she had been murdered, it was, in a way, a load off of my mind that I knew what had happened, but it was still hard to take. The waiting and not knowing is hard. When Janice was found, we were relieved, but then your hopes went to uh, sadness again. Didn't know what to think. But police do, especially when Janice's preliminary autopsy report confirms what detectives already know. When we viewed Janice's body, we thought it was obvious that she had been strangled. The autopsy confirmed that. It also gives us a time frame when Janice may have been murdered. And according to the coroner, Janice had been killed shortly before her daughter, and her body was located just 12 miles from where Alicia was found. And so when you put all those things together, we just felt strongly that these two homicides were connected and the same person or persons had committed them. It's a promising link. But police will need more. And Lieutenant Welliver is about to get some helpful news when he takes a look back at Alicia's final autopsy report. It seems the medical examiner 
came across some interesting evidence that was missed early on. They found two foreign hairs, one on Alyssa's body and one in a bag that her body had been in, and those were good forensic evidence for us. Evidence that could give them a DNA profile. All they need now is someone to match it to. And with samples from family, friends, co-workers, and online lovers, the list is a long one. During the course of the investigation, we had collected DNA and hair samples from approximately 50 people. We were confident that our suspect or suspects were part of that group. To narrow down the possibilities, analysts conduct preliminary microscopic testing. And they are surprised to find that one hair is from a female donor, the other from a male. Could this be the work of a couple who kills? What we have to do at that point is find out if it was a casual contact transfer of hair or if it's actually a suspect or suspects. But in order to find out, they'll need a full DNA profile. And that's technology the state lab just doesn't have. The samples are sent to a private lab in Chicago for more analysis. And the waiting game begins. With investigators closing in on a killer or killers, they decide to tighten the noose. They once again reach out to KRCG news reporter Mark Slavitt. We put it out on the news immediately, but police were actually using the media to send a message to the possible murder suspect. Hey, we've got your DNA here, and it was probably like a scare tactic. Somebody's got to talk about something sooner or later, and that was our best hope that somebody's going to run their mouth and something would break. And it works. Nearly three months after Janice's body was found, Lieutenant Welliver gets an interesting phone call. One of our patrol sergeants called me and said that she had a couple that had some information that they wanted to share about this crime. The couple tells police that a friend of theirs, 25-year-old Angela Mize, knows who is behind the killings. And Angela Mize is a name that Lieutenant Welliver is already familiar with. We learn that Janice and Angela Mice had worked together at the nursing home, so they were casual friends, I would say. A friend of Janice's with inside information sounds like a solid lead. So police question Angela directly to get it on the record. Angela's story was that she came home, she found Alyssa there with Janice. They were in the process of being killed. After walking in on this horrendous scene, Angela panicked and ran out the door away from the killer. Angela's initial statement was, I'm a witness. I didn't say anything because I was scared of him. And she thought she might be killed if she told on him. But when detectives start asking more pointed questions, they are surprised to find that Angela knows a lot more than she originally let on. One of the most important facts that she told me was that the killer had kept a button off of Alicia Owens' dress, and her words were um, as a trophy, some type of trophy. If Alicia's dress is missing a button, it's news to investigators. Lieutenant Welliver makes a call to the Highway Patrol Lab to verify Angela's story. I asked the technician if there was any buttons missing off of Alicia's dress, and he told me that there was one button completely missing from the dress, it's a startling discovery that is about to send this case full speed ahead.
Nobody knew that button was missing from that dress, not even law enforcement. So you know Angela Mize is more involved, and there's more details that she knows, and it's time for her to tell us the real truth. Five months into the investigation of the murders of Alicia and Janice Owen, police now have an eyewitness, Angela Mize. But unfortunately for her, Angela is starting to look less like an innocent bystander and more like a suspect. She knew details about these crimes, and she gave us some information that also matched the crime scene. And the person she says is responsible for the murders is her 18-year-old husband, Eric Mize. But she gives police a whole lot more than that. She knew exactly how they were murdered and telling us how Eric had done it and how he had got rid of everything, where he had taken them to. She was there when it happened, and, and so that made her an accessory to it. Until police know for sure the extent of her involvement, detectives hold Angela at the station, and things quickly come together when they take a look back at the early police reports. The Mises certainly match the description of the young couple spotted on the porch the day the Owens went missing. And while their vehicle doesn't match the mysterious old green truck, they do drive a pickup. But police first heard about the Mises just days into the investigation. They were casual acquaintances with Janice, so we talked to them very early on. But the Mises sent up no red flags. We asked them for DNA and hair samples, which they voluntarily gave to us. So there was really no indication to us that they were involved in the crime at that time. But it seems now that both Angela and Eric are very involved. Our main concern now was to uh, try to find Eric, get him in custody, and uh, find out his side of the story. But when he isn't at home, police put out an all-points bulletin for Eric Mize. Luckily, he soon drives right past a cop car on Boonville's Main Street. We pulled up beside him and told him we needed to talk to him, and he became very nervous, very scared. Then Eric does something unexpected. In just a matter of seconds, he floored his vehicle and the car chase was on back into Howard County. With sirens blaring, police follow Eric on a short four-mile chase to his uncle's house, where he barricades himself inside. So numerous officers were responding. We got the house surrounded and secured where he couldn't leave it. At this point, Eric knows he's toast. The Boonville SWAT team is activated and finds Eric hiding in the closet. He's taken into custody and brought back to the station where he starts singing. But he's whistling a different tune than his wife, Angela. She said Eric was the person that did all the crimes and I was just there and he forced me to be there. Eric told us that Angela was the ringleader, the instigator of this. With both suspects telling two different versions of the story, detectives don't know whom to believe. But something about Eric's behavior has them leaning in his favor. His demeanor was quiet, shy, willing to talk, wanted to get this off his chest. He, he filled in a lot more details about what happened than Angela did. And something else he fills detectives in on is Angela's motive. She had evidently had four or five kids of her own that all had been taken away from her through the Department of Family Services. 
that takes some serious offenses there, you know, for the state to step in and take your kids away from you. According to Eric, Angela wanted a child to keep, and they both wanted a little girl for their own perversions. So they decided that Janice's young daughter, Alicia, would be a good get. On June 11, 2002, police arrest Angela and Eric Mize and charged them with the murders of Janice and Alicia Owen. They both fed off of each other and gave full confessions to everything, that their involvement in this double homicide. It looks like an open and shut case for the prosecution, and DNA evidence will pretty much guarantee a conviction. But police won't be needing it. Before the DNA test results are in, Angela and Eric decide to cut a deal. With a plea agreement signed, sealed, and delivered, they are sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. And they're going to have to think about every day in prison what they did to this little girl and their mom, you know, and they're never going to get out, and I'm happy with that. After obtaining the killer's confessions and piecing together all of the evidence, this is what police believe happened that fateful February day. Eric and Angela had gone to Janice's house that day after Alyssa had got off the school bus and Janice had got off work. They asked Janice to come to a barbecue at their residence and bring the little girl. But the pleasantries between friends ends there. They had drove them both down along the river road. They had strangled Janice down there, dumped her body. And then they take a terrified Alicia back to their home and sexually molest her. After the molestation, they decided if they took this little girl out in public that they were probably going to be found out. And so they decided to kill her. They wrap Alicia's face with a black plastic trash bag and suffocate her. Early the next morning, Angela had a job interview, and so they put Alicia in the trash bags, took her to the back county road. They laid her body out, and Angela went on to the job interview, and they went on about their life. It's a disturbing story to recount, and the deaths of Janice and Alicia is an outcome that's hard to accept. They were innocent. They didn't do anything wrong. Kids are, they're our future, they're everything, and Alicia deserved to be alive. She deserved to grow up, and she deserved to have a life. And the lives that were taken from Frances Frederick can never be returned. But that's not all she's lost. It's changed my life in not trusting nobody anymore. Janice was too caring and too willing to believe everybody was honest. It hurts to think people are that low down. For Janice's son, the deaths of his mother and sister have uprooted his entire life in Boonville. He began living with a foster family after the murders. For a whole year, we never got him to talk about it at all. He was just a little boy when all this happened, and that's hard on children. And it's been hard on the folks of Boonville, Missouri, too. The murders of Janice and Alicia Owen are a daily reminder that even in the most tight-knit of towns, wolves can be lurking in sheep's clothing. You don't think it'll happen right here in your own little neighborhood, but it does and it did. It's sad and sickens you 
we do have these kind of people living in our communities next door to us. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Nickelodeon was kid everything, but that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set, an ID true crime event, Sunday, March 17th at 9, on ID and stream on Max.